0: Hello and welcome to the Music History Project. We're your hosts, I'm Mike
1: Mullins, Dan Del Fiorentino,
2: and Ashley Allison.
0: All of our content comes from the Oral History Program, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. That collection is over 4,500 interviews and constantly growing. If you'd like to learn more about the program or view any interviews that aren't featured, visit namm.org library.
1: Hey everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of the Music History Project. We are thrilled to dig into the archives of the NAM Oral History Collection to uh, bring for you some great history about the music products industry. And today is a really fun one because not too long ago at the NAM show in Nashville 2021, we got to sit down with Uncle Ook and uh learn about the uh, origins of the ukulele as well as its progression in history. And I think what's really fun, um, we don't have to talk too much about the history of it because he covers everything, which is kind of cool. But we should say a few things about him along the way, which we will. And um, I'm just really excited about this. This should be a lot of fun. He's a very energetic guy so um and it's a compelling story as we probably know
2: yeah definitely listening to this uh his interview in preparation for this i was like you know what maybe i will take up the ukulele and start some (laughs) lessons because it sounds it's always looked really fun but now after listening to him a little bit more inspirational
0: awesome (laughs) yes you should the ukulele is such a cool instrument um it's Like we were talking about before the podcast recording started, it's the gateway instrument to many other stringed instruments because it's very accessible. Um, So yeah, definitely pick up the ukulele, it's an awesome (laughs) instrument. Um, Let's jump right into this interview with Robert. Um, First off, he's going to be talking about music in his childhood, um, the ukulele, some history about the instrument, and just kind of how he got involved in the world of ukulele.
3: My parents were not musicians, but there was music around. But growing up over in the islands, there's music everywhere. And uh, I remember, you know, wearing my parents' records totally out. Um, you know, and just, I, I would play them till they were gone.
1: Like, what were they listening to?
3: Oh, they, again, they had an entire smattering. They had Peter, Paul, and Mary. And they had, you know, Kui Lee and, you know, Hawaiian, you name it, it was there. Okay. Um, and so I, I would sit there with a record player when I didn't have to do something else, like go work in the yard or whatever. And I would just play and sing along and the whole nine yards. Um, then, you know, younger, growing up in Hawaii, I'm going, I, I want to play ukulele. And so I started playing ukulele. You know, my parents got me lessons. And then my brother decided he wanted to play. And so, Siblings being what we are, I look at my parents, I said, I think I want to play guitar now. You know, and my parents, of course, responded, yeah, we knew we wouldn't stick with it. Uh, Now I'm the only one still playing. (laughs) Um, So I went from ukulele to classical guitar. Uh, I went on to study music in college, Um, study music education. Uh, And it was in college I got into working on instruments because, you know, Poor college students who need their instruments worked on certainly can't afford to take it to an expensive a music shop to have it worked on. So uh, a group of us started working on instruments and that's where I, I sort of got into the building aspect um, and things like that. And I was, I was headed in one direction musically and then of course fell in love and we had children and so I had to do the, the proper thing you know, and go get a job. Yeah. And so all of that sort of stayed in the background for a long time. And uh, but, you know, it, it just couldn't stay there forever. And um, basically, when I came fully back to music was when my youngest graduated high school. And he went to the Navy. I looked at my wife and said, I'm going home. I'm moving back to the islands. I'm going home. That's it. And, um, you know, I I looked at her and said, you can come with me if you want, (laughs) but I'm going. And so we moved back um, and I started doing some building again. And yeah, at that time both my wife and I were actually making chainmail jewelry and I was doing some ukulele building. And uh, she finally looked at me after we were doing some shows here and there, and she looked at me and said, I want to open up a shop. I said, fine, let's do it. So we had a jewelry shop with a few ukuleles, which very quickly morphed into an ukulele shop with a little bit of jewelry. Uh, next thing you know, we've outgrown where we are. We've got one of the uh, big sh- tourist shopping centers going, please come. Uh, so we moved over there, outgrew that. Uh, we've been serving the big island full time for almost 11 years now. I've been building full time for, for about 11. Um, And it was just really coming back to where I started out wanting to be. Um, And the nice thing about the ukulele, I guess, is that it is so approachable. Yes, it takes just as long to build an ukulele as it does a guitar, trust me. But uh, as far as an instrument for the common person, it's so approachable. You've got four strings and four fingers. And when you hold it up next to yourself, you're bigger than it is. So you win. So, I mean, I've had so many people come through who just never thought they could ever play an instrument. And in five minutes, they're playing a song because they're not overwhelmed, strings to fingers and a size that they're trying to, how do I hold this thing? Uh, And so they start playing right, right away. And it's like, wow, I can play and have fun. And I guess that's one of the reasons, you know, I tell all of my students, I don't care what you're playing, as long as you're smiling, it's right. Because that's why we play music is to have fun, to express emotion and joy and and, and any you know, sadness, whatever it is. We play music to express the human condition. And so I tell all of my students, whatever you're playing, as long as you're smiling, it's right. In fact, I had a symphony conductor from a major European symphony walk into my store one day. And as soon as I found out who he was, I looked at him and said, okay, I'm going to give you my favorite line of all time. He goes, what's that? I said, I truly believe that in music, there's absolutely no such thing as a wrong note. And he's there with his family and his family just went, oh my God. (laughs) And his fists balled up and he went, Beat red head to toe, and he's shaking. And I said, it's not a mistake. It is, in fact, how we learn and grow as musicians. And what's more, it is, in fact, how we write new music. I put my finger in the wrong place, and guess what? It sparked an idea, which creates a whole new symphony. And finally, his fists unclenched, and the color came back into his face, and he's going, Okay, I'll give you that one, but only if you're playing alone, <laughs> you know. And it's one of those things, I truly believe you can't make a mistake in music. Even playing in a group, I don't believe that's a mistake, it's how we learn, we grow, we express ourselves in new and, and unique and joyful or sad or whatever ways that, that sort of explain the human condition in a way that everyone can understand. And I find it, you know, having gone from ukulele as a child to classical guitar, and now back to mostly ukulele, being played like a classical guitar, uh, it's, the ukulele is just the most universally relatable instrument I've ever found. Because in a matter of five minutes, I can have you playing your first song without you ever going, wow. You mean that's all I have to do? Was what's that? Yeah, that was it. That was, you know, maybe maybe beating on a rock might be easier, but other than that.
1: <laughs> Very well said. That's really neat. Well, while I have you, yeah, I would love your thoughts on on the, a, a, a sort of the brief version of the history of the ukulele.
3: <laughs> no problem. I'd be glad to give you my version of the brief history of the ukulele, um, and what I. What I know, I know from what's the history on the island, okay? A lot of people believe the ukulele came from Portugal. The fact is braguinas and Cavaquinhos came to the island from Portugal. The ukulele didn't exist yet. And that's where people make the distinction. They go, well, it came from from the, the Madeira Islands. Go, no. The Portuguese came from the Madeira Islands. I believe it was in about uh, what? 1847 when the Raven's Crest docked in Honolulu with a group of immigrants from the Madeira Islands, which of course at that time were having a major downturn in their economy. So they came to work the sugarcane fields and uh, the ship's records show that on that uh, boat, there were three gentlemen listed as carpenters and amongst all the belongings listed, were four stringed instruments. And those were, as I said before, a combination of braguinas and cavaquinhos. And one of those gentlemen who was listed as a carpenter was actually a luthier. He was the son of a cobbler in the Madeira Islands who had been apprenticed as a child to a luthier. And so he grew up building guitars. But when he signed on board the ship, they didn't know what the, a luthier was, so they put him down as a carpenter. <laughs> you know, that was just easier. So when they got to Honolulu and they started their jobs, well, what they used to do in the Madeira Islands is, after a hard day's work and a hearty meal, they would gather on the street corners, sing, dance, and play, and catch up on the day's news. That was the ver- their version of CNN back in the 1800s, was to gather around, sing, play, and have fun. And um, so they did that in Honolulu. They gather on the street corner and they sing and they dance and they play and they swap stories and of course the Hawaiians started gathering around and watching all of this. And some Hawaiian piped up and said it looked like a bunch of ukuleles. Now the word ukulele is a combination of two Hawaiian words, uku which means flea as in my dog has fleas and lele means to jump about wildly. And what he was talking about was the way in which the Portuguese were playing the praguinas and Cavaquinhos in true Iberian style with the fingers jumping up and down on the strings going back and forth. And some Hawaiians said that looked like a bunch of, of ukuleles, a bunch of fleas jumping up and down. And next thing you knew everybody in Honolulu wanted to learn how to do that ukulele thing. But the problem is there's only four instruments on the whole island and the four gentlemen who have them aren't giving them up because they found out very quickly it was the quickest way to get an invitation to go to the palace and drink oki with the king. <laughs> and the king, King Kalakaua would do that because it was the only way he could get a hold of an instrument and learn to play. And so one of the diaries of one of the housewives is filled with entries where she's fuming over her husband coming home from the palace drunk. Instead of being working in the sugarcane fields, like he's supposed to. And I c that's got to be a comedy of errors when he walks in and goes, but dear, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> you know. Uh, so Manuel, uh, Manuel Nunes, uh, Nunes as the gentleman that we were talking about, the luthier, he looks at his wife and says, What am I doing? Busting my back in the sugarcane fields. So he goes to downtown Honolulu, down on King Street, rents a storefront, and opens up a workshop, and he creates not a paraguina, not a cavaquino, but he creates a hybrid. Basically, it's a miniaturized classical guitar but it got small so now we don't have room for six strings. So he pulls off the two bass strings and so the bottom four is still tuned like the guitar. But that string number four, that high string that we find, goes up an octave from the guitar because The scale length is too short. And to hand roll, they had to hand roll their strings back then from animal gut. And to hand roll a low G string didn't work. So he took it up an octave. So your two outside strings, your G and the A, are tuned one step apart. It's in fact the same string. So he only had to hand roll three gauges of string to get four notes. It was a genius idea. But he creates this this miniaturized classical guitar and says, looks at everyone and says, hello, ukulele. And it was an instant success. Next thing you know, everybody in downtown Honolulu is buying an ukulele. The other two carpenters from the ship go, if Manuel can do this, I can do this. So they go down and they start workshops and start pumping out. Next thing you know, within a few months, the ukulele has actually gone around the world on the sailing ships. And as soon as it hits Europe, they yank off the high G, put a low G on there. And they could do that because they had machines rolling strings. And so at the turn of the century, you find these books in Europe going how to play the low G-tuned ukulele, which I laugh about because it's exactly the same way you play the high G-tuned ukulele. It just has two more steps down in the the, uh, scale. So, I mean, that's sort of how the ukulele started was just Manuel Nunes created an instrument that everyone wanted but just didn't exist yet and it was an instant sex And it's still one of the most popular instruments today.
0: So,
2: again, such a fantastic interview. I think you guys can kind of start to feel the, his spirit and just his excitement and love for the ukulele and the Hawaiian culture that's behind that. And um, just a really fun uh, telling of the history of the ukulele, for sure. Learned well a lot he's
1: there. so he's obviously very passionate about it. He's done his research and he's lived some of it, which is great. You know, we're getting now to uh, a little bit more pop culture, a little bit more current Uh, times and this is where uncle is continues to shine because he knows firsthand some of the trends and some of the people who helped put the ukulele on the map and i really appreciate that about him Um, a couple of the people that he's going to be mentioning uh, coming up in this next section are um very important to the history of how the instrument progressed in pop culture, especially here in the United States. One of which I just wanted to call attention to is Arthur Godfrey who had a, a radio show. He's kind of, I believe in many circles, believed to be the first disc jockey, the guy on the radio to play pre-recorded songs and talking in between. I think uh, actually it was Arthur Godfrey who did that certainly at a national level. Um, he also started a, uh, a, uh, a talent scout uh, before America's Got Talent. It was <laughs> Arthur Godfrey and I think, 1938 um, on the radio. And that morphed into a television program. And all along, he would strum on the ukulele every once in a while. And particularly, I believe, when television came around, he was on the cover of TV Guide a couple of times. And I've heard mention of that several times during the the years of collecting these oral histories about that being a big influence Uh, music retailers saying people would come in with their copy of tv guide i'm not really sure what this instrument is but i want one because arthur is playing it i mean that's pretty cool um so yeah very important element uh he also uh robert also mentions uh, folks like uh, Daniel Ho and uh, Pepe Romero Jr. Um, and I'm really happy about that because both those guys we got to interview, which is really, really cool.
0: Yeah, and you can check out those interviews on our website if you'd like. Head over to nam, namm.org slash library. On the sidebar, click on oral history interviews. And then we have a pretty advanced search there. You can search uh, keywords or names, Um, or we have a great tag system, Um, just type in the ukulele and you'll see everyone associated with ukuleles. Awesome. So let's jump back into this interview with Robert. Um, He's going to be talking about some of the stuff we were just mentioning, um, other innovations in the ukulele's life, um, other important people that brought attention to the ukulele, um, and just some uh, more current events associated with the instrument. So here is more of Robert Yates.
3: About, what, 25 years ago when suddenly you started seeing this major resurgence. Now, on the islands and a lot of the other rest of the world, the ukulele never died in popularity, but it did on the mainland. And that's what we as Americans saw. We saw the mainland. And where is it? I don't see it. Nobody plays an ukulele. In fact, I had one customer come in. He goes, I want a really good ukulele but I can't justify paying $1,000 for a handmade ukulele because it's just, it's an ukulele. He says, I just spent $3,000 on my last guitar, but I can't spend 1000 on an ukulele because in his mind it was still a children's toy. And a lot of your stores here on the mainland, a lot, a lot of music stores, still view the ukulele as a children's toy. So you have a hard time finding a true quality instrument in the ukulele, which helps keep that view of it's really a toy. It helps perpetuate that view. Um, When you hear a high quality instrument and it's being played, you go, I didn't know you could do that. I hear this all the time. I didn't know you could do that on an ukulele. When I'm playing flamenco on an ukulele, people go, huh? You know, or I, I go in and play some Grateful Dead tune and they are going, but I thought you could only play Hawaiian music. Well, I go, well, I guess that's Hawaiian music now because it's on an ukulele. Um, you know.
1: Did any of those plastic versions um, play well?
3: There are a few of them that, that will play acceptably. Uh, But again, you get this very flat, thready, tinny sound out of it because Mm. it's plastic. How do you get a depth of tone out of plastic? And the fact is you don't. Mm. Uh, Same thing happens when you're dealing with plywood. It doesn't, sound in an instrument is not just created in a box, it's created in every pore of the wood. But with plywood, you've actually filled all those pores with glue. So the sound can only be created in the box, so you get a sort of flat, tinny, twangy sound out of a plywood instrument. There's a few things that can be done to mitigate that in plywood, but most people won't do that. Um, Because sound is created in the pores of the instrument, not just the box, each pore acting as a resonance chamber, the more solid wood you have in the instrument, the steeper, the richer, the fuller the sound. And this is what most people miss out on because they're buying cheap plywood instruments. They're going well but it's mahogany plywood. It's spruce plywood. It's maple plywood. It's koa plywood. Uh, Plywood's plywood. It all sounds pretty much the same. It's not till you start adding solid wood where you get the pores helping to create the resonance of that sound. That you hear what the instrument can truly
1: do. So, what, in your estimation, have been any of the innovations of the ukulele? I think about, like, I mean, there's been all kinds of different designs and styles, the fluke and, and things like that. Any of those important to you?
3: Uh, the fluke, I, I think, was a great innovation for the time. It sort of brought the ukulele back to the forefront. Bette Midler still plays her fluke on stage. Okay. She has a ball with that thing. Um, but again, there is a, a lack of depth of tone in that because it is mostly plastic, okay? It is, a, it is a carbon fiber body, so it does lose, it does have a lack of tone to it. But when you're on stage being mic like that, sometimes that's not as much of an issue, especially with that big flower on hers, it really <laughs> lights up the stage. Um, there's some innovative design happening, I think uh, what, Uh, Pepe Romero Jr. has done with his design, I think is just really uh, brought a whole new depth of tone to the instrument in his uh, Daniel Ho line of instruments, where the body is almost a paddle shape. People look at that and go, that's not pineapple, is it? Go No, the best I can call it is a paddle shape. And that redesign really, really brought out a broad tone in the instrument. So, I've really been uh, very impressed by what uh, Pepe did with that. Um, I think there's been a major resurgence. You're seeing a a lot more on stage, um, which is a far cry from what happened, you know, back when, when the Beatles were in full bore and George Harrison, who was a major ukulele fanatic, wasn't allowed to play the ukulele on stage because it wasn't considered a rock and roll instrument. Now, it's considered a rock and roll instrument. Okay, we can do that now. And I think that's brought a lot of interest back into it when you have groups like 21 Pilots coming along and there's the ukulele right up front. Um, you know, that's, that's done a lot to, to spark that interest. I think there's a lot of good things coming back into it. Uh, a lot of innovation starting to happen, but um, I'm just seeing a number of companies being a little hesitant to step out a little further because, again, you do have to worry about your bottom line and when I can sell a thousand of the, you know, $40 instruments which are, you know, the plywoods versus one handmade, okay, what am I going to do?
1: What are your thoughts on the role that Arthur Godfrey played?
3: Arthur Godfrey is one of the two people who is credited with creating the baritone ukulele. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, But he was one of the two people who was given credit for creating the baritone ukulele. Godfrey was a huge, huge ukulele fanatic. Um, He uh, learned to play from a gentleman who came from Oahu, uh, who took Hollywood and the big bands by storm. but uh, he, he would end his show every, every week on the ukulele. And he had a line of ukuleles that you could buy that came along with a, a little attachment you could put on there to make the chords for you. And um, so, I mean, that, that attachment's been around for a long time. I've seen it go through several iterations. Um, but, I mean, it was, it was a huge selling thing and back then, And that was, you know, sort of before things started going downhill on the ukulele. Um, But what he did with the baritone, the baritone is the only one of the four traditional sizes traditionally tuned differently. Where the soprano, concert, and tenor are tuned G, C, E, A, which is the bottom four strings of the guitar at the fifth fret, the baritone was tuned D, G, B, E, which is the bottom four strings of the guitar at the first fret. So it is in that it sounds like the guitar missing the two bass strings and that's it. And it was a huge step forward in the ukulele world when when that occurred because suddenly I extended the range of this instrument immensely. Uh, One of the newer things that has happened in ukuleles is in string technology. Um, With the advent of fluorocarbon strings, Um, We've got some new tunings that are available. Prior to recently, the soprano, concert, and tenor could only be tuned GCEA. Now you could put a low G on there, but it was still just GCEA. And that was due to the scale length. The scale length was too short to hold anything lower. The baritone scale length was too long to hold GCEA. It would snap the strings. Well, with some of the new string technology, guess what? We can now go go back and forth. So uh, right now, I've got my tenor over here tuned DGBE with the new tenor strings that can now take it on down a fourth to where the baritone traditionally is. So we have a lot of new things happening in string technology that are expanding the range of the instrument.
1: Another um, celebrity I wanted to ask you about that I thought that an awful lot for bringing back the ukulele was Is.
3: Brother um, Is, I heard that his version of the o- Over the Rainbow is the most downloaded and most re- recorded song in Hollywood soundtracks of any other song. Hmm. But online it's one of the most downloaded songs ever. And it has been in more Hollywood movies than any other song has been, his version of it. Um, He had a voice that just melted hearts. Um, I I call it a voice of an angel. He just really did. Uh, Sweet, gentle spirit. And you couldn't help but listen and fall in love. And when he played Wonderful World and Over the Rainbow as that medley, Everyone just said, yeah, that's it. I want to do that. And uh, it's the most requested song at weddings in the islands. Uh, one of the most requested songs for me to teach people when they come visit. They want to learn how to play Over the Rainbow. And, um, did, you, it's just, did you know him? I did not have the pleasure. I was actually, wand- as I call it, wandering the wilderness in the mainland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> During the time he was, he, he had you know, come to the fore. Um, I knew a lot of people, I know a lot of people who knew him, but I did not get the pleasure of meeting him.
1: Yeah, it's just amazing how one person can have such an impact yeah. on an instrument like
3: that. He, just, he took it from total obscurity on the mainland and brought it back into the forefront. He really did. Um, you know, as I say, on the islands, in the fifth grade on the islands, you're required to learn how to play ukulele. It never left Hawaii. Um, <laughs> You go throughout the South Pacific, it never waned in popularity. Um, Throughout Europe, uh, I had a gentleman come to me from Germany one time going, I need you to come and give classes in Germany and bring as many ukuleles as you can. Um, Because it is just so amazingly popular. Um, I found out that two of the old violin makers in Germany stopped making violins and started making ukuleles because that's where the money was.
1: Are you still making
3: it? I am still making. Um, right now, I'm actually moving my workshop from where it is in the Hilo store to our new shipping and receiving building because I found that when I'm in the Hilo shop, I have time to do repairs and wait on customers, but I haven't had time to devote to building. I've got five electric guitars sitting on my workbench right now that I need to finish building. Um, I've got a whole bunch of ukulele parts started that I haven't had time to get back to completing because I'm just, when I'm in the shop in Hilo and, and working, I don't have time, the time it takes to devote to building. So I get one done every once in a while and it lasts long enough to make the wall, and that's about it. Uh, people go, well, I don't see them on your website because, well, they don't last long enough to make it on the website mm-hmm. when I finally get one done. Um, hopefully, with the move of the, the uh, workshop, I'll be able to get away and start doing more of that again.
1: What woods do you prefer?
3: I, my favorite set of tone woods, for me personally, is rosewood and cedar. I am a rosewood fanatic. I don't think there's any tonewood out there that is sweeter, more vibrant, more full-bodied than rosewood and, and paired with a cedar. just comes alive. Um, most people coming to Hawaii looking for an ukulele want koa. I have people go, but I heard you can't get koa anymore. I'm going, I got stacks of it. I've got it for wholesale, i got plenty of koa. (laughs) Uh, Koa is an endangered wood. It has been highly controlled by the Hawaiian state, the state of Hawaii for since the 20s. Uh, They didn't want to see what happened to uh, sandalwood happened to koa. Back in the 1800s, the British came, swapped guns for sandalwood, took the sandalwood to China swapped it for silks and porcelains, and took those back to Europe. And so basically, um, the Hawaiian Islands used to have five uh, types of sandalwood on the island. It almost got completely wiped out through this trade. Hmm. And the state of Hawaii says, no, we're not going to allow this to happen to Koa. And so, Koa is only allowed to be harvested off of private land. Uh, Most of it is only harvested from deadfall very little cutting is going on. And uh, so you only have a couple reputable sources for koa. In fact, right now, most people on the mainland who are, think they're buying Hawaiian koa and it's being sold as Hawaiian koa are actually buying Chinese acacia, which is a relative to koa. But like I tell people, so is the common table pea, a relative to koa. Uh, and I wouldn't make an instrument out of a Chinese Uh, out of a table pea. Uh, Though Chinese, Chinese acacia is a nice toad wood but it's not as dense. Um, The pore structure is much tighter packed than in koa. Koa has very elongated pore structure. Uh, So the sound is not as sweet, rich, and vibrant, but still nice at about a third of the cost. But uh, most people again, they're being told it's Hawaiian koa when it's actually Chinese acacia. Well, this is really
1: awesome, you guys. I love this interview. What energy. I remember being sort of worn out after Uncle Uke left the room of this interview because it was so like, wow, compelling. And he's so energetic. It's fantastic. I love it. And contagious. And I'm really grateful that we had even just a few moments to talk about Is because uh, he was such a big influence. And Oh, how I wish we had had an interview with him. Um, I've heard a lot about him. I've read actually a couple of books about him as well. Just a really compelling figure. And he's done so much, so much for music and particularly the ukulele. So um, uh, kudos to him. And, um, and I love also talking about the exotic woods and, you know, the woods that make up these instruments. It's such an important element of all of this. So I'm glad that that was incorporated.
0: Yeah, the ukulele is just such a fun instrument. Um, it makes sense that this huge spike in popularity has happened um, just because it's so accessible And you can be up and playing in, like, no time. I mean, there's Mm. chords that it's four strings, and then there's chords that are just one finger on one string. And then there you go, you're playing a chord. And it's just, um, I love the accessibility of the instrument. And like we were saying earlier, it's a very good gateway instrument into other instruments, such as the guitar, um, maybe a bass guitar. Um, So just really, really excited to be talking about it. Um, hmm. I have a ukulele myself that I try to play every once in a while. Um, but after recording this podcast, I am definitely going to pick it up and be playing it.
2: <laughs> and as Robert says, there are four strings and you have four fingers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> how how much harder, you know, how much easier can
2: you get there? <laughs> uh, so we're going to go into our last segment here uh, with Robert just talking a little bit more about some current things that he's been going that have been going on with him, uh, including, uh, the, the pandemic and how in Hawaii the effects it had on, uh, both the state and the school and, and working with school programs, uh, during that time. And then we also may, there may be a nice little performance at the end of the segment.
1: Just, Ooh, a you know, teaser.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, maybe like, make sure you listen to the whole segment, <laughs> listen to the whole episode, but listen definitely listen through the whole end of the segment.
3: Um, So here's the last segment for Robert Yates. The economy in the islands is 95% tourist driven. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I don't care what you do. You might be working in the laundry down the street, but still a lot of your income is based upon tourism. Um, So when we went into lockdown, literally everything shut down. You could go to the store to get groceries, that's it. Um, as soon as we were opened up or we're, we were allowed to open the store, we were still shut down even to inter-island travel up until last month. Um, you know, we opened up um, on a very limited basis using all of the, you know, proper, um, you know, hand sanitation, everything else. Um, and, but it really, we still don't have the cruise ships coming back to the islands yet. In Hilo, we would see at least five cruise ships a week. Oh, wow. That accounts for a lot of tourist dollar. We don't have anything slated till January. So we still have that whole chunk of the economy that's not there. But what that did for us is it forced us to s- sit down, reassess where we were, and because we didn't have money going out to all of the other vendors we deal with, um, we were able to take and, you know, take our money and, and sink it back into the business by paying, out, paying off what little debt we did have and then growing our ukulele line and we had been talking for years about adding a guitar line. And we got that launched during the pandemic. Um, as I said, that's why I've got five electric guitars sitting on my bench right now for me to finish. Um, but we were actually able to start our, elect our guitar line where we have classical guitars, acoustic guitars, electric guitars, all in, the, uh, all in our Honu guitar line. Uh, because like I tell people, you know, in Hawaiian Honu is the Hawaiian word for turtle. Uh, and I tell people it's a whole new world. So Know, get yourself a guitar. Uh,
1: but
3: yeah, that, that's my sense of humor, okay? It doesn't get any better. Laugh now.
1: What's the guitar line called? The whole new one?
3: guitars. Oh. Um, yeah, we, we, we've, the models are basically based, uh, they're, they're Hawaiian names. Um, we will be getting them on our website soon. There, you still can't even find them on the website yet, but you can get them in the shops. Um, but the line is growing. Uh, we've had, we had a lot of success through the pandemic because we have a, a school music program where the schools can come directly to us and pay wholesale price for their instruments. So instead of getting a plastic instrument, they can actually get a real nice wooden instrument for their students. And uh, we out through the pandemic it has to be close to a dozen of the schools came to us. In fact, I got an inquiry from a school yesterday in the, that I need to get back with, but here, of course, here I am in Nashville trying to do this, um, who's going, we want some ukuleles. So I mean, that, got, that helped get us through the pandemic was outfitting the schools and their school music programs. And uh, we're starting to branch out and offer that same thing here on the mainland. So the schools can come directly to us and get a really fine instrument for a very reasonable price. Um, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, um, I studied music education in school, but I always have had an issue with what is referred to as student level instruments. I detest them because student level instruments have a tendency to be, to be not as well built and so, You have to learn bad habits in order to make them work properly. And so if you're going to go on to a better instrument, you have to unlearn the old habit and learn to do it the right way. So in many ways, I think we do our our kids a disservice by giving them what's called student-level instruments. Because why teach yourself the wrong way when you can just start doing it the right way to begin with? Uh, Great example of that, we have a wonderful musician on the island. He has been playing since before I was born. He's marvelous on a student level instrument. He can make that thing do things that you would never expect. He has been playing this forever. Whenever he comes into the shop and tries to play a professional instrument, he can't do it because he's learned all those bad habits for so long he will never unlearn them. So he has now forced for his entire life, to play a substandard instrument. Is he making a living at it? He sure is. He overcame the obstacle, and that's just proof that no matter what, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. And he did, and he's won several Grammys doing it. But, you know, he will never, and it saddens me that he'll never be able to pick up a truly fine instrument and know the joy of touching it and having it just come to life. You know, there's something just magical. The first time you take a really fine instrument, put it in your hands, and you lightly touch it, and it sings and blossoms. And that's just a wonderful experience that so many people, because they're on student-level instruments, never get to experience. So that's one of the reasons we started our school music program, was to make sure that, you know, they have the best instrument possible at the best price that they could afford.
1: Yeah, absolutely true. I mean yeah, not only learning to compensate, but just being frustrated that you're not doing what your instructor is asking you to do or speaking. Uh, are you the instruments the not capable are. of it? Yeah, right.
3: Okay. Yeah, good point. And and I I've, I've run into that so many times. We you know, you're on an acoustic guitar and to make a student level guitar work, you've got to have what I call this gorilla grip to smash it down and make it work, you know and a fine instrument. You should just lightly touch it and it should sing. And that's really a a major difference that so many people never get to experience. Um, You know, the difference between playing a student level violin and a Stradivarius. You touch that Stradivarius, it it plays itself (laughs) in, in many ways. It just, yeah, it does it. That's what it's supposed to do. It makes that sound go, yep, that's what I wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. Where on the student violin, you're trying to force it to do it. You know, And that's, that's what I think, I, I try my best to help as many people not have to experience as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm.
1: Very well said. So what is the, your favorite aspect of what you do? What is it that you enjoy most?
3: Dealing with... The kids, those young kids who come in and watching their face light up, you know, because I love it when parents come in and go, I will buy you an ukulele, but you have to promise you're going to practice every single day. Um, And I look at the kid and say, I want you to go and have fun. Um, Practice, I look at parents and say, your kid wants to be a rock and roll star. And rock and roll stars get out there and they go, they start strumming and go, yeah, start strumming and singing and playing and having a great time. Practice is going, dun, 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 dun. that's practice, that's boring. Getting out there and playing a song, that's exciting, that's want makes you want to play. Going over scales doesn't. There's time to learn scales, let's learn how to fall in love with the instrument. So, that's why I always take my students in their first five minutes, they're going to play their first song after five minutes or less. And it's really that simple to do. Let's go in, learn a chord, thank you. That's your C chord, that's it? Yeah, that's it, let's go on, boom, and there we go. And at the end of five minutes, they're playing their first song with this biggest grin on their face and they're hooked. They're hooked on music at that point. Not just the ukulele, but they're hooked on music. And that's where the joy comes in. I had a young man come in. It was four months into his school year. He came in all excited, going, I'm learning to play ukulele in school. I said, great. Four months of the year. What have you learned to play? And his head went down. And he started kicking at the floor. He says, well, we're still on our C chord and our F chord. I went, whoa. I took him aside. In five minutes, he learned to play four songs. He's beaming from ear to ear. I said, now take this music. Go back home and teach your friends, OK? The instructor teaching at his school, is one of the old school instructors. We're going to do this until we all get it right. We're not going to move on until we do. And so four months into the school year, they're all burned out going, we're still doing this, and we're still doing that. and we have, And in five minutes, he learned four songs, and he was hooked on music. That's where it is. I mean if you remember back to the old delta blues players, how many of them could play music or could read music? How many of them? Not a one, (laughs) okay? If you said what's, play a C major scale they wouldn't have known what you were talking about but boy could they play music and it came right from the soul. And that's where music's supposed to reside, not on a manuscript paper, in the heart. And so I view, even as a a, a trained music educator, I view teaching music a little differently than the standard Western view of music instruction. I really like the Hawaiian view. In old Hawaii, If dad was a guitar player and he would teach the kids, the kids would sit in front of dad, dad would play a song. He'd say, got it? They'd go, yeah, I said, okay, come back when you're ready. And they'd go play and they'd have fun with the tune. And when they'd come back ready to play it for dad, if dad smiled, you knew you'd get it right. If dad went, well, you know, you go back and try again. Dad wasn't trying to make you play it exactly his way he was trying to get you to catch the essence of the tune, internalize it, and make it something uniquely your own. And that's where joy comes in. People come to me and say, I want to learn over the rainbow. And I'll teach them to go, no, no, like, like is played it. And I look at them and go, are you is? Well, no. Who are you? Make it your own. This is what he did. That's why people fell in love with it, is he took this song, and made it something so uniquely his own, that you can't help but relate to it. You want people to relate to music, then you teach them how to make it their own, not to follow this by rote. Yes, there's a place for that. But the joy and the love of music has to come from the heart. And if you don't get it from here to the heart, you've lost them.
2: going to be a little performance there might be one and there definitely was one and after listening to that um i think mike you definitely want to go play your your ukulele and i want to go learn and it's (laughs) such a i mean that's such a great way to end uh the interview and and you just really get that the vibe and the uh, of the ukulele and the hawaiian culture and it's just beautiful to listen to very serene
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely and there are so many things that we could uh suggest people listen to um, in professional and um, popular recordings. There are countless occasions where people like David Lindley, the great studio musician, picks up a ukulele in the middle of a pop song, maybe by uh, Jackson Brown, just to add a little flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, our, Our good friend, Bill Pittman, picks it up at the very beginning of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Uh, shout out to Bill, who's 101 at the day of this recording. Isn't that awesome? And um, so many other great examples. Um, it's it's a great instrument with a great tone, and as Mike has said earlier, the ease and accessibility of it has made it really an ideal instrument to start on. So it's a, it's sort of everything, and I'm so glad to see its popularity continue.
0: Yes, and it's not just for Hawaiian music too, like you're saying, Dan. Pop music, rock music, you could really apply it to any genre out there. Um, it's a very versatile instrument. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in. Um, if you'd like to see the full video version of this podcast, be sure to head over to nam.org library podcast to see our pretty faces and to see mm-hmm. Robert's as well. We also have his full interview posted in its entirety over there. So if you want to check that out, you can do that as well. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Mike Mullins, Dan Del Fiorentino,
2: and Ashley Allison.
0: If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have recommendations for future episodes, just shoot us an email at library at